Hi, ladies. Good evening. Thank you so much for letting me be here. My name is Sarah Honer, and my family and I go to Central Campus. Um, and I'm Annie's sister. So it's probably why I got this invite to be with you tonight. Um, so to start right in, six years ago, we had four children, four years old and younger. My husband, Max, was away for a week at a conference, and I had arranged for one brave move with him gone which was a play date with a good friend at the end of the week. The days without my husband trudged by slowly. With minor attempts at laundry and activities around the house, we were in survival mode at best. And then Friday morning dawned. I made my sleepy way down the hall from my room to the coffee pot in the kitchen and became increasingly aware of this smell wafting out from under my children's bedrooms. Oh, no, I thought that smell is only one thing. Please let it be the dog. But no, that Friday morning, we were hit by a very serious tummy bug. The four, three, and 16-month-old all were producing a smell, part horse barn, part end times, that meant the death of our one plan to leave the house for that whole week. Though we had been sick plenty of times before and since, that instance is remarkable in my memory because of the truly massive party I threw that day, the kind of party nobody wants to go to. It was a pity party. I sulked and cried, and I threw filth-soaked sheets into the washing machine with a force fueled purely by sinful, self-indulgent childishness, ultimately breaking the washing machine by overfilling it so that waves of vomitous water cascaded down the sides and soaked the waiting mountains of laundry, which were permanent residents of the laundry room in those days. On that fateful day, Instead of feeling compassion and love for my pathetically sick children, whose stomachs were churning and whose foreheads were burning, all I could focus on was the fact that I'd expected to see a friend, to talk to an adult for the first time in five days, and I was being thwarted. My will was not being done, my hopes were being unmet, and my pity party raged on for hours before I started to realize how wrong my heart was in that situation. So what does this gross story possibly have to do with Christmas and why we're here? <laughs> Let me explain by asking you to just do a little something for me, which is to close your eyes and take a deep breath and focus on the very first thing that happens in your mind or in your heart when I say this word, Christmas. Okay, for some of you, you can open your eyes. The response may have been an image, like a tree, snow, a large feast, a lit candle in a darkened church, a beloved face, a crackling fire, or wrapped present. It may have been an emotion, like joy, or panic, or sorrow, or exhaustion. Could have been a deep sigh, or a facial twitch, or perhaps just nothing happened at all. Whatever your response was, it can show you something noteworthy to think on. When it comes to the Christmas season, we all have some expectations. We have preconceived ideas, hopes, and fears tied up in this season that's filled with tradition, cultural pressures, family obligations, and past experiences. So how does it tie into my massive pity party? The reason I couldn't operate as a peaceful, loving mom that sick day for my children, the reason I wasn't ready to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the reason I still kind of carry lingering regret, is that I had an expectation that wasn't necessarily bad at all, 
but it was incorrectly esteemed above my primary God-ordained calling, which was to bring God glory by being about his business, by worshiping him always and in all circumstances. And this is what can give all of us the same self-focused and ultimately self-defeating heart attitude at Christmas time, expectations that are based not on what scripture tells us is glorious and to be celebrated at this time of year, but rather on unexamined personal beliefs regarding what Christmas is all about. So let's just dive in for a minute and look at what scripture can tell us about what to anticipate and rejoice in at Christmas time. So Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Isaiah 9:6, For a child will be born to, uh, for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. After now we've heard these verses, let's look at some negative examples from the Bible of people who probably also heard these words, but they wrongly anticipated what the Messiah's coming would be like. Let's look at the Pharisees. They were the ones whose job was to know the holy words. They were professional religious men. If anyone recognized Jesus, it should have been them. But they were so steeped in tradition and those laws and traditions that gave them worth and pride that they stood in front of the Savior of the world and they missed him. Let's not forget potentially the most potent example of erroneous self-focused expectation, Judas. Here was a man who, much like many of us strive to do, spends most of his time walking and studying Jesus, walking with and studying Jesus. He, learned, he listened to the Sermon on the Mount. He watched miracle after miracle. He saw demons cast out and lame men walk, yet Judas's prideful, obstinate heart told him that he knew better, that the Messiah he was waiting for was somehow going to meet his expectations better that there was more life to be found somewhere other than at Jesus' side. There's also strong evidence to suggest that Judas was motivated in part by materialism, the worship of money, a temptation familiar to many of us at this time of year. So, sisters, how can we, who do not physically get to see and walk with Jesus, have any hope to keep our hearts correctly tuned to his truth, his love, and worship of him? this Christmas, when the world is shouting at us to treat ourselves, or for some of us that our sorrow this season cannot possibly be redeemed. The good news, ladies, is he sent his helper, his comforter, to us to empower and encourage us in just this way. But how do we engage with that spirit? For our answer, let's enjoy for a minute examining portions of the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set your people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. We can see, as we sing this truth into our souls, that Jesus has taken care of our greatest problem. He has removed the permanent, deadly stain of sin from our very souls before the living God. He has set us free. 
But does this hymn guarantee a perfect Christmas, a conflict or sorrow-free season, copious presents, content, healthy children, or even a white Christmas? Nope, because God is not first and foremost focused on feeding his beloved children junk food. These are all good things, things to hope and work for, but never, never things to hope in. We have been promised living water, a soul-nourishing feast. We have Christ. We have the perfect life of the divine Son of God. On Christmas, we celebrate the advent of nothing less than the most glorious, death-destroying, impossible moment in the history of creation. Emmanuel, God with us. And what does that hymn tell us we can do then right now, today, tomorrow, and for eternity? Born to reign in us forever, rule in all our hearts alone. So we can rest. We can, like the Proverbs 31 woman, greet a snowy tomorrow and Christmas madness and every day to come with a belly laugh born of absolute certainty that we are now living in eternity sunrise. Now, please don't hear all this and think I'm recommending a minimalist Christmas or one where you're sinning if you get really into making a big meal and praying obsessively over the seating chart. Please also don't hear that if you're hurting this season, you should just knock it off because of the cross. Absolutely not. God cares about your heart, your joys, and your sorrows. Take them all to him, knowing that Jesus' heart is to meet you wherever you are and to draw you in. What I am recommending you try to do is a little self-diagnostic as you go into your days, into all the programs and celebrations and feasts and projects and trips, shopping sprees, the general busyness, and also into those long, dark nights ahead. During this season, when in the beginning of a potentially strong emotion, ask yourself these three questions. What am I doing? For whom am I doing it? And how can I invite Jesus into this moment? This can aid us in rightly realigning our expectations with scripture and Jesus' example to us all. So a, a couple of quick examples. If, totally hypothetical, if I'm trimming the tree and starting to feel very angry because my kids don't understand proper dispersal of ornament weight and type, and the whole thing is starting to look just not good, I can take a minute and ask, what am I doing? I'm decorating a tree with my kids. For whom am I doing it? Yes, for these children, because I love them. I want them to have joy in both the process and the product. Maybe I can readjust my heart and let go a little. How can I invite Jesus in? Praying, Lord, these are your children. They're a gift to me to tend and disciple for your glory. I confess that I can get all caught up in some standard of beauty that is not from you, but rather from my own sinful heart. Real beauty is in the self-sacrificial service of your son. Please help me to be more like him. Or, if you are experiencing loss or loneliness this season, when you're tempted to despair, take a moment and say, all right, what am I doing? I'm mourning or grieving. For whom am I doing that? For a lost loved one, a wayward family member, or a husband or a family I don't have yet? How can I invite Jesus into this moment? Pray, Lord, 
you are a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know my suffering in these days, my loneliness, my hurting heart. I am raw and at the same time numb. Help me to remember that you were the loneliest man on earth, surrounded by friends who would betray and let you down, aware that the time was coming where your own mother would watch you die the most ignoble death on a cross. Yet you loved those around you. Heaven was in your heart, and the sovereignty and love of your father gave you strength to keep going and hold on to hope. Would you give me that hope even now? So ladies, my goal tonight is to try and help all of us to see Christ as our treasure, to consider him the pearl above every price, every ideal Christmas moment or memory, every possible earthbound hope you work toward this upcoming season. Christ is the treasure. And anything else idealized above him will lead you to feeling the kind of deep, self-focused discouragement I experienced that fateful six, sick day six years ago. Let me leave you with this if you hear nothing else tonight. Jesus is better than any anticipated momentary seasonal joy. Though Christmas is coming, to paraphrase St. Augustine, or Augustine, we are the Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. We get to serve this Christmas. We get to feast. We get to rest. We get to mourn what isn't, and we get to give thanks for who has already come. This holiday season, may our hearts be rightly worshiping the Savior who gives meaning to every moment of our lives and whose arrival signaled the end of all our earthly sorrows. So, Merry Christmas, ladies, and come thou long-expected Jesus. <laughs>